I am unwilling to give up, that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out, knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control, control, control. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders, We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I'm so excited to have my next guest here, one of my new favorite brands, Vitamin A, Amalia Stevens, and she is the founder and CCO of Vitamin A. And she wasn't new to the swimwear world. She's designed for many, many brands over the years, many brands that we all know and love. And it was after her experience working with a uh, little known, not so little known founder of Patagonia, Yvonne Chenard, that she decided to try her hand at creating the first premium swim fabric made from recycled nylon fibers. And since then, the company has incorporated several more sustainable high-performance fabrics along with eco-conscious textiles like organic cotton, linen, recycled cotton, all of those super great things that we all want to be purchasing. So Amalia is a true force, and I'm so excited that she came on the show today to share her wisdom with us. So welcome, Amalia. How are you? Hi, uh, Kara. I'm fine. Thank you. Um, I'm actually very, um, very pleased and honored to be here. Thank you for, for inviting me. Nice to see you. Absolutely. Very excited. So you've achieved tremendous success over the years as a designer, and now you're an entrepreneur. You're not supporting other entrepreneurs as you've done in other companies over the year. You decided over the years, you decided to go out on your own. I bet you didn't snap your fingers and it all happened overnight. It was a process, a journey. Uh, and so did you always think that eventually you would start your own brand? Oh, I don't, I don't think, no, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't have anything planned. I'm not a big planner. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm not a big planner. Um, and you're right. It absolutely was a very evolutionary process. Um, and kind of like one thing led to another. Um, and no, I, I didn't ever plan on starting my own brand. In fact, I don't think I was even so aware that there was, you know, a, a swim industry when I, when I first started. I was really, it was a passion project and I was, you know, making bikinis for myself because there was just a void that, that I couldn't fill for what I wanted personally. That's awesome. So how would you describe vitamin A to somebody who just met you and, and didn't exactly know what you were doing? Uh, maybe something that you're most proud of. Well, the thing I'm most proud of is that vitamin A is the pioneer of the sustainable swim movement. So the whole industry that as it is right now, um, there really isn't, aren't too many new brands that start that aren't sustainable in some way or try to be, or, you know, bigger brands that are working towards a shift or at least their marketing 
um, towards a shift. But yeah, um, I feel very, very proud that Bioneer, that vitamin A was um, able to pioneer the first textiles and really the entire concept of sustainable swimwear. So take us back, if you would, when you decided that this was an opportunity. What hole did you see in the market then? So at the time, um, I was Vitamin A originally was a boutique design firm. So it was my studio mm-hmm. and I was designing for other brands, like you said, um, one of them being Patagonia. Um, and basically um, my studio, myself, I, I specialized in telling authentic California stories. So brands, very small brands that wanted to branch out into apparel, but didn't really know how. Um, and larger brands, you know, like a Patagonia or Levi's Redline, I did concept. Um, design for them, uh, you know, they would call me and have me um, either either start with a their existing brand concept, but but tweak it or or tell the story from you know a very authentic California point of view. Um, and so, brand ID and then the actual designs that fit a lifestyle that I led and lead and was mm-hmm. was always very comfortable. Um, portraying through designs. And um, that was what I was doing at that time. And um, I was, you know, as a creative director, creative professional, I was traveling for all my clients. I was always, I mean, I was pretty much never home. I was based in Laguna and I was traveling between New York, Europe, um, a lot of Polynesia, um, I was in Tokyo a lot because I was doing a lot of denim at that time, but I was living in a bikini, you know, most of the time, even when I was um, not in the water, I would wear my um, swimsuits as like undergarments and, um, you know, how we all do now in California. But at that time, I remember, you know, people asking me like, is, is that a, is your bathing suit up? Is your bra, is your bra a bathing suit? Or, you know, like it was just like such a novelty. But um, anyway, yeah. So I was looking for um, really swimwear that to match my aesthetic, which was just more elevated and understated. A lot of neutrals, um, black, white, gray, chocolate, browns. You know, topes, and that was not a a, a reality in um, swimwear in least in this country at that time. Um, this was late nineties and, you know, I founded vitamin A in 2000. Um, so, you know, jeans were still really low, but bathing suits at that time were, were really, really high. Um, there just wasn't anything that felt modern at that point. And it was kind of this market where it was like, either you were missy, so very kind of Midwest mom, no offense to Midwest moms. I love them. They're my customers too, but they have evolved, you know, with, with vitamin A and, and, uh, and we have evolved with them. Um, but it was, you know, that kind of department store, very large fits and bright, bright, bright colors or juniors um, at that time. And there was kind of nothing in between, like nothing really designer or contemporary, nothing that felt modern, um, that kind of, went with a modern woman's wardrobe, for lack of a better term. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? 
Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long, term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is The Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell, or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. 
And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of the Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for the Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. So you just talked a lot about the design part. So when did you actually start to dig into kind of what it was made of, like the fabrics, obviously sustainable fabric and how you make it is definitely part of your ethos of your brand now. What what was the point, maybe what was the year um, that you really started to say, I want to do better? Um, so... Well, when I first started, obviously I was, it was vitamin A was, was very, very small and tiny. And like I said, I was really just doing suits for myself and I had my design firm vitamin A. So a lot of my clients and my clients' wives, um, they were also wanting these suits. And so I was making them as kind of one-offs and then, um, teeny tiny runs and, um, and, um, needless to say, I did not have leverage to kind of create the, my own fabrics at that time. I was just buying stock fabrics from premium Italian mills who offered beautiful colors and beautiful quality. But, um, there was, you know, there was nothing sustainable and, and I, I wasn't looking for that because it just, it hadn't arisen in my mind yet. You know, this was still like late nineties, like I said. And, um, so the, the concept Mm -hmm. wasn't there, but around 2000, right around that same time when I was, um, starting to make my own bikinis, I did this project for Yvonne at Patagonia, um, which lasted a couple of years. And, and it was, it was, um, it was very interesting because it was a, well, let me, let me start over. I was hired as an outside consultant to um, design and merchandise and create kind of the brand identity around the product. Uh, but also I was trained internally as if I were a full-time employee at Patagonia. So I had to go through like their rigorous training process and education process, which totally blew my mind because it Mm -hmm. was there. And then that I learned Yvonne's story and how he developed, um, Patagonia's, you know, quintessential, um, outerwear fabric micro fleece. Um, and how he developed it was really, again, just out of his personal need. He was a climber. He was using wool to keep warm, but it would get wet. Da, da, da. And so, um, so he developed this micro fleece product, but it was made from plastic. So as you know, his journey evolved, he realized that he didn't want to be kind of perpetuating the fossil fuel model of, of textiles. And so he really mm-hmm. showed me, I mean, he pushed his suppliers and it was not, you know, easy. Nobody 
came up with that idea and sold it to him. He came up with the idea and he really, you know, forced um, his supply chain, obviously with, with a much bigger, um, much more power, you know, in the industry that his supply chain was forced and, you know, finally went along and did develop this product for him out of recycled um, plastic bottles. And that was, you know, so inspiring to me when I learned that whole story and how it came about and how hard he had to work to um, really, you know, to push and to change his supply chain. Um, And that is kind of what got me thinking, well, you know, it's a synthetic fabric. Swimwear is a synthetic fabric. This should be easy. You know, if they, if they can make plastic bottles into microfleece, surely they can make it into, into, uh, you know, performance swim fabric. Um, so I started at this point, it was a few years, you know, down the road where vitamin A had, um, scaled a little bit and was, I would say, um, a big fish in a very small pond. So, you know, vitamin A, I think, was and still is kind of known as the gold standard of swim when it comes to fit, when it comes to quality, when it comes to, you know, attention to detail. Um, and so consequently my suppliers in Italy, um, in Canada and in, um, Spain, France, California, I had, you know, suppliers all over the world and they really wanted my business, even though it wasn't, you know, a large, it wasn't a large business by any means, it was an iconic brand and an important brand for them to be a part of. So when I went out to my mills and said, you know, Hey, I want to, you know, do something out of something sustainable. Well, at first they started pitching me like, Oh yeah, yeah, we're developing things like that. And they started pitching me on corn fiber fibers made out of corn, which was actually right here. I could see you shaking your head. Like, no, actually it sounds so good. And it was a really nice marketing story, but it turned out to be much less sustainable because of the amount of water needed to produce and the, you know, the gases that would be generated from that. I mean, for so many reasons, it was actually just a kind of a greenwashy marketing ploy for lack of a better word. Um, And then, you know, no, that was no good. What else do you have? And so I got, um, I was presented with some, the the best that, that any of my males could find was this really heavy scratchy fabric. It felt like a workout fabric and it was not luck. It would, it wasn't at all what my customers were used to from vitamin A. And so, um, so at that point, I, I really figured out that I had to develop this, you know, they all kind of just put their hands up and they were like, you know, it's not, a, it's not important. It's not a direction that we're interested in pursuing because there's no market for a sustainable swim. And that was the resounding message that I was getting from my suppliers was that there is no market for sustainable swimwear, which I just laugh at now. This <laughs> obviously like it is the market, but, um, yeah, so I had to, it, it really, it took me, this was, um, around 2004. So a few years into it where vitamin A had started to grow 2005, somewhere around there where we had started to grow in popularity where I had, you know, really had not forgotten what I learned from my time at Patagonia and that, that rich education about um, Yvonne's story and how he um, 
developed and, and pushed his suppliers. And, you know, that just kind of stuck with me. And as vitamin A grew and scaled and became more important to our suppliers, it finally came to a point where, you know, I was able to have some, some leverage to say, you know, this is what I want. Let's develop it. And so, um, it was on my dime. I had to invest um, a lot of money in trial and, and error. And, um, finally, in um, 2010, <laughs> I was able to bring to market, um, well, it launched. Um, so I guess I brought it to market in 2009, but um, brought to market what was called the Green Bikini Collection. And um, why it was called the Green Bikini Collection is because the one supplier that could do a performance fabric that met my standards um, aesthetically and um, technically the one supplier in Italy could only achieve three colors at that time that would pass the, the test because it's very rigorous testing for, um, for swim fabrics, color fastness, light fastness, and um, being able to stand up to salt water and, and chlorine. And these colors were black, white, and this crazy lime green. Um, and so I was like, okay, I'll, I'm just going to go with this. You know, this is they, they were like, you know, take it or leave it. You can drop your program or you can, these are your three colors. So that was the first um, launch of the Green Bikini Collection, which launched to wholesale because there was no direct to consumer at that time for vitamin A um, in 20, 2009 and then launched to um, the public in 2010. Um, and and it was was interesting. Yeah, that was, that was when, you know, it started with... Um, a product that was made from recycled nylon fibers. So fibers that would have gone into the landfill. Um, we were able to divert them and, you know, recycle them and reuse them. Um, and that was, that was just the start. I kept, kept working, kept working. And ultimately, um, by the next year, it really was perfected. And it was our, um, our, our kind of, um, signature fabric, um, which is Ecolux. And that was made here locally in California, very close to my studio in Laguna Beach. Um, and that that was tremendously exciting. And so by at that point, I was able to launch a little bit more of a robust capsule with, and I, I still remember the colors. It was like this gorgeous, you know, burnt orange and a very sophisticated, rich taupe color, a natural color, and then of course, black. Um, and so that was the real... I think like the beginning of, of the, the real journey into sustainability. And, and what year was that? That was 2010 and 2011. So 2010, um, it, it launched to the public, um, the green bikini collection. And that was the kind of the prototype for Ecolux that I developed in Italy. And then the, um, the final perfected version, which is still, um, a core part of our business today um, is Ecolux that's developed just right here locally in Southern California. And that is made from recycled nylon fibers. And uh, we also have a version that's made from plastic bottles, which is our, our Ecolux and our, our um, EcoRib BT, which is the bottle technology, which is an ode to Yvonne and his microfleece inspiration. Um, and um yeah, so from there we kind of developed more um, textures, rib textures, and um, you know various textures going 
going into, I guess, what's what's more trendy or trendy. Yeah. I, I would never really call vitamin A trendy. It's just not. Um, so yeah, they're classic, yeah. amazing, they're classic, amazing. and you know, still fresh and was like a total joy for life and adventure and travel, but you know, cause we're talking bikinis, but, um, so, but yeah, we try and, it, I mean, it is, it's more than just trying. I mean, definitely I'll have suits that I still love, you know, and, and still wear for, for many, many years. And they don't, you know, before they wear out, they, they don't like get old in ter- terms of their styling, you know, so that's important. No, they're, they're classic and, and lovely. And uh, definitely you talked about the color, there's no fading. I mean, they're just beautiful, beautiful quality uh, products. So what was probably the biggest roadblock uh, that you encountered in those early days. Obviously, you were you were in your test mode in 2009, and and you knew that you would have to keep iterating and making the product better. But was there any roadblock that sort of stands out as like, oh gosh, I don't think this is going to work. We've we've got to you know do something else. I mean, I I think there's so many entrepreneurs that. Uh, run into roadblocks and have these moments when they think, you know, this just isn't going to work. Either a supplier goes under or um, something big happens along the way. Maybe um, all the ink does come out in the water. I don't know. Um, something something along the way that you really thought, we've got to figure out a way to get through this. Oh my gosh. Too many to mention, but I guess... <laughs> <laughs> um, just from from a product standpoint, I mean, the the biggest the first biggest roadblock was simply that the fabrics didn't exist and that the whole like supply chain didn't want to um, explore the possibilities with me. They just I was felt so shut down, kind of at every door. You know, it was just like it's not a thing that people want or care about. So we're not going to invest in it kind of thing. And that's why there isn't any, any sustainable fabric of, you know, what you're looking for doesn't exist because people don't, don't want it. There's no market for it was literally what I was told. So that was quite a roadblock. And so it did take three or four years of just me investing, you know, researching, developing, um, and then trial and error until, you know, enough testing had been done that it was able to be, you know, perfected and brought to market. That was the first roadblock. And then once I brought it to market, I was actually um, really surprised that like the, an even probably bigger roadblock was that my customers, my wholesale customers, for the most part, there were one or two exceptions, but for the vast majority, they did not care. And they were very clear that, you know, we're not interested. We don't have customers that come into our stores looking for um, a sustainable bikini. They look for a great fitting bikini, a gorgeous color. They love your fabrics. They love your trim, your hardware, your innovative cuts. They love all those things about vitamin A. They don't, that's what they want. And that's what we want. So we're really not interested because it was also um, because it was new technology and you know, very undeveloped and untested other than in vitamin A, um, the mills weren't selling it to anybody else either. 
So at first we were exclusive, which made it much more expensive. And so that was kind of the pushback from the retailers were like, they, they were fine if I wanted to do that, but they were very clear that they didn't care and they didn't want to pay the extra for my, um, uh, obsession with sustainability, you know, or, or yeah. wish. So for how me. did you get around that then? They didn't care because they, vitamin A was so hot for them. And they were just like, we love the burn orange. We love the toe. We love your colors. We love your cuts. We're going to buy it anyway, but we're just telling you, we don't, we don't buy into your concept. So they bought it mm. anyway. And then there were a couple um, notable exceptions, Holt Renfrew in Canada being one of them, um, who, um, they, they really embraced, um, vitamin A in the whole concept of sustainability. And now they have their H project where, um, you know, that's all they do is focus on beautiful brands, you know, emerging, um, and established sustainable brands, but they, you know, have that focus. So there were a few customers who did, um, get it and love it and want to lean into it. And it aligned with, you know, their ethos as well. But for the most part, um, it took years until I would say like the end customer and other designers started getting excited because, um, Mm -hmm. as soon as Ecolux was perfected and we started moving into eco ribbon, more textures, the mills, um, realized that, you know, oh, vitamin A, they're not just a trendsetter in terms of, um, styling, right? They're also a trendsetter in this concept of, of sustainability and raw materials. And so, um, they started selling it and other designers really liked the idea and really wanted to be part of it. And in fact, even as soon as it was perfected, I, I called, um, my friends at Patagonia and I'm like, you guys need to switch fabrics because they were still using conventional nylon for their swim fabric because that's all there was. Um, so I introduced them mm-hmm. to the mill in California, um, and it basically, you know, kind of snowballed from there. The rest of the industry followed, and now it's it's table stakes. I mean, there aren't any um, high performance luxury fabric mills that don't have um, a, a deep focus now in, in sustainable fibers and fabrics. I love that. Do you think also when you started your own direct-to-consumer business, it really started to grow the rest of the brand. I think that that's, you know, part of the challenge that when you are wholesaling to other people and they've got these other brands, you know, that don't do exactly what you're doing uh, to make the fabrics better, that it's hard for them. But when you're doing your own thing, then you control all the marketing and the education and, and, uh, people will still go look inside of, uh, those other, uh, retail locations that you might be selling. But would you say that that was a big turning point in your brand as well? Um, definitely. You, you hit, uh, a really important point. That was always a challenge because, um, until we, we started selling direct. Um, I mean, we had a website and it was informational and we had a lot of visitors and we had a lot of traffic for a website that wasn't even selling anything. Um, but, um, you know, for the most part, it was only once we really, um, invested in, in social media and were able to start telling our story directly 
that that story, um, you know, it resonated and our, our customers started speaking to us and, and telling us that that's important to us and that, um, aligns with our values. And it's so interesting because I think what was that challenge, um, to your point about, you know, having to rely on, on our retail partners to tell our brand story, which isn't their job, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit, part of it is, you know, they're excited about brands, but they're not going to go into depth because they have many brands and they have their own brand as retailers as well. So, um, you know, the fact that like we were able to turn that roadblock into a real positive where now we have these loyal customers that have been, um, you know, wearing vitamin A for, for two decades now. Um, and now their daughters are discovering the brand and, and because they are aligned with our values and they're, you know, they see us and they know us to be authentically aligned with their values. Um, as much as our aesthetic, it's kind of like, it's a rebirth now. Um, and it's very, it's very exciting. So you've done a ton around inclusive sizing too. I'd love to have you share a little bit about that, how vitamin A has paved the way for more inclusive sizing. Um, yeah, that's, that's interesting because the way that that started is I, um, I used to, I used to model swimsuits when I was in college, when I was a teenager and I would, you know, get boxes and boxes and boxes. And I just, you know, part of it, most of it was the aesthetic. Um, but also mm-hmm. I, I didn't, um, I wasn't the same size on the top and the bottom. And at that time, right in the nineties, like it was, there wasn't, um, well, I should say the eighties and nineties, like there just wasn't mix and match sizes. Bikinis were sold as sets. And I remember, Mm -hmm. you know, because it, bikinis were my, my obsession as long as I can remember. So I remember being a teenager and I remember the first one I purchased myself with my own money. I remember, you know, pretty much every one of those little friends that I ever had, those little bikini friends, like they were, they were all, you know, very near and dear to me. But I remember that fr- frustration of going into stores and, you know, I was like an extra small on top and a small on the bottom, which felt like I was like totally deformed. At that, you know, and and I think that that was the age also of like fashion magazines and make yourself better because you're not good enough. And, um, and so I just, you know, always had this body complex because I wasn't the same size on the top and the bottom, but like not that many people are obviously. Um, but a few stores would let me trade and do, you know, like a, a small top and a medium bottom and, and let me, you know, mix and match. But for the most part, I just had to you know, suffer and just wear a mm-hmm. set that either the bottom was too small or the top was too big. And there wasn't really much way of getting around that. So initially, um, and really for about the first 15 years of business, I was the fit model. Um, and so it was always, um, you know, I always, as I, um, matured and aged and changed my body changed and I had kids. And I mean, I was every size from our extra small to our extra large. Um, I was every size top, bottom, every bit of it. And so, and I was always a fit model. And so I always figured like, okay, you know, 
if, if it fits me and I'm very, I'm not a model or a fit model. Um, I'm very, you know, kind of your average woman, (laughs) if it fits a real woman and then, you know, when it gets on my customers, it's going to, they're going to love it. So it was just kind of always that concept of like, by, by women for women. Um, also before I ever launch any style, it gets, um, wear tested on a number of, um, friends and coworkers. Like, again, we, we do have fit models and we do have an insane tech team that does it right, but we crossfit everything on real women. So, um, you know, we're very meticulous about the fit and making sure that, um, so many different body types can feel really comfortable and supported and confident. And, um, that's, that's always been the approach. I love it. How do you just, how do you decide, uh, which suits to create and colors and things like that? Is there anything that inspires you uh, along the way? Do you feel, I mean, obviously you've got your classics that you're doing, but as you start to come out with, um, innovative styles, where do you look for inspiration? Um, I think, Oh, I mean, I kind of everywhere I've, I have a little motto for myself, like inspiration is everywhere. Um, it really is. It can be, uh, of course, whenever I'm traveling, um, inspiration flows and it could be anything. It could be, you know, the pattern on some beautiful dishes. It could be something I see in an art museum, or it could be, you know, anything. One time I was, I was in Colombia and I was in a little cafe and I see this, this old couple and they're there like having their tea together. And the lady was wearing this very adorable, you know, suit, but like very polished suit with a big, um, fabric rose, you know, flower on her suit to match her suit. And I was like, Oh, that's so cool. And I ended up, you know, um, developing a a trim that was a, a little fabric flower made out of the bikini, um, fabric. And then, Jessica Alba wore that suit and then that kind of took off and went crazy, you know, back in the, I don't know, early two thousands, but like it can, inspiration can come from anywhere. A lot of times just when I'm at the beach, just in Laguna, just swimming, I'll just, you know, feel like, Oh, I wish that this strap did this, or I wish that this leg was a little higher or a little lower, a little this, or, you know, and I just kind of, um, just feel inspiration sometimes rather than see it. So I don't know. I no, I love that. So what would you say is the hardest part of growing a brand? Uh, you obviously supported a lot of incredible entrepreneurs over the years and kind of their vision, but now the, the buck stops with you, right? And what would you say is kind of the hardest thing in, in creating uh, a brand that maybe you just didn't realize until you were actually doing it. Oh, um, <laughs> for sure. It's the operations and finance side of it. Not my yeah. skill set, not my core competency for, you know, by any means. Um, I had to do a lot of learning and I still am learning. Uh, but that, that's always been the biggest challenge for me. Um, and, and certainly, as it started to grow, um, that, that was 
that was really hard. <laughs> that was really yeah. hard keeping up with, with all the moving parts and the fact that you have to, you know, buy so far in advance, um, in order to, you know, just secure your raw materials and, and your gray goods and just the whole, uh, the amount of planning and, um, and financial knowledge that, you know, an operational knowledge that I don't have. <laughs> and so you need to really have good partners that, that can, can handle that side of it. Did you bring in people then too at, I did. early on? Yeah. And, and w- at what point did you do that when you were, you know, first getting started? About five years in, I realized, cause it was, like I said, vitamin A was, it was originally just my design studio and the bikinis yeah. were a side gig, like just a side personal passion project that started growing, um, you know, very organically. And I would literally like, I didn't have sales reps. I would just, when I would go on all my, um, inspiration trips and my, my shopping trips, um, for all my clients, I would bring a little tiny bag, like that big, and, and it would have my, you know, six different bikini silhouettes and my six different colors. And it would all be in that little bag. And I would, you know, wherever I was shopping, um, you know, whether it was Barney's or Bendel's or, um, Fred Siegel or Scoop, you know, back, in, <laughs> back in those days or Beams in Tokyo or St. Barth Hotel, like these, all these places that I love to shop became my customers. They were my first customers. Mm-hmm. And I would just kind of, you know, be in there doing my thing shopping and I would have my little bag and, you know, eventually meet, meet the owners or meet the buyers. And, um, yeah, so it, it evolved that way, but it, to answer your question, sorry, <laughs> um, it was about five years into it. So 2005 that I, um, brought in some partners and, um, that was important because I was realizing That's awesome. this is much bigger than I could possibly handle myself. I couldn't do those. Yeah. Well, and that's hard too, as a founder, as a fellow founder. I mean, bringing, bringing people in is always a little bit scary, but I also think that once you do it and you find the right people too, sometimes that takes a few iterations to do that. Uh, but you find the right people to really help you build your dream. I think it's a, it's a big, uh, it's a, it's a big undertaking, a big, uh, trust, um, issue too. And, um, but ultimately if you can eventually get it right, it, it definitely can work. Yeah, I do. I think you're right. I think it's, it's hard to, well, it wasn't, it wasn't that hard (laughs) because I felt like I was in a place where I can't do this myself. So it, it is hard to find the right partner, but I think it's not Mm -hmm. for me. I'm very collaborative and I, thrive and get energized from collaboration of any sort. So, you know, I would rather be learning those skills without having to own those skills, if that makes sense, you know, yeah. be collaborating and learning. No, I think it, yeah, that does make sense. So if, if uh, you could go back now and do just one thing differently, what would it be? Oh, I would have, um, I would have, launched direct to consumer much earlier. We didn't launch our D2C until 2016. Um, oh, wow. So, yeah. And we were, we were always kind of wanting to um, be, be loyal and true to our retail partners, which we still are. 
and will always be in that will always be a very important part of our business, um, for, you know, so many reasons, but, um, but definitely that relationship direct to your customer, to be able to share your messages and to hear directly from that end consumer. Um, that's just priceless. And so, yeah, I wish we would have started that a little earlier. And you've built such a great social too. And you and I were talking, I've, I get your uh, emails too, and I love them. I mean, it's just, there's so much inspiration. What are you most excited about for the brand that's coming up? Um, I'm really excited about always um, the innovations around um, <clears throat> materials and processes. Um, very, very excited about a new fabric that um, we're just now launching, which is called Relux. And um, we have the exclusive um, in the industry to start for this year with, with this product. But it's it's really cool. It's, it is a recycled nylon, um, but it's made from 100% post-consumer waste. So whereas our um, signature Ecolux, it's made from pre-consumer and it does divert industry waste from the landfill. So it's very important. Um, and it does, you know, good work. Um, but, um, uh, what is, um, what, what it does that's a little different is it pulls out fishing nets from the ocean and that's what it makes. Oh. That's what it uses. So that's why it's a hundred percent post-consumer. It pulls out the, the abandoned fishing nets from the ocean. And then it not only, um, you know, redirects those, those resources. So it, it eliminates some of the demand for virgin nylon, um, by using these nets, but it also, um, has the potential to save, um, marine life from the risk of getting caught up in those nets. And that is also, you know, a really important benefit that, um, our, we had thought of before. So that's new and exciting. Um, just any, anything around plant, anything around, um, materials and process innovation is what gets me the most excited right now. Um, we're also doing more with our, our plant-based nylons, um, which, you know, I see as the future, I think it's still a very nascent, tiny, part of the industry. And, and it's kind of like, I feel like it's 20 years ago all over again, um, where it's really hard to get the mills to get behind this, this very new technology, but we're making some plant-based nylon out of castor beans. So, um, <laughs> it's really cool because they're, they're creating fibers from castor oil versus petroleum. So it's a so cool. big step forward. And, and that really excites me too. I love that. Well, I love how much you're you're learning along the way and uh, and finding things to learn about, but also how you're leading this industry. So and sticking with it and putting uh, stakes in the ground around doing better and watching others follow, which is incredible. Even uh, giving people um, the the name of manufacturers, like you were saying, telling. Uh, somebody uh, that uh, Patagonia at one point that they should definitely look into this. I mean, I think that's how you make the industry better, 
right? And you just get people to jump in and, and do better and show them how. So, so incredible. So Amalia, thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us. Everyone needs to go to the vitamin A website. As uh, Amalia mentioned too, there's, there are plenty of stores that are carrying it as well. Uh, we'll have all the details on uh, in the show notes. And of course, it's on the website too. But thank you again. And thanks everybody for listening. Have a great rest of the day. Kara, thank you so much. I I really appreciate the time that I've spent with you and appreciate you inviting me on. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to the Kara Golden Show. If you would, please give us a review and feel free to share this podcast with others who would benefit. And of course, feel free to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of our podcast. Just a reminder that I can be found on all platforms at Kara Golden. And if you want to hear more about my journey, I hope you will have a listen or pick up a copy of my book, Undaunted, which I share my journey, including founding and building Hint. We are here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Have a great rest of the week and 2023. And goodbye for now. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.